Aerospace Unplugged. and thank you for listening to Aerospace Unplugged. I'm your host, Carrie Sinclair, and today we're going to talk about data analytics and mission readiness. With me today is retired U.S. Air Force officer and senior director for defense and cybersecurity, Norm. Norm, can you pronounce your last name for me? Valchunas. Valchunas. All right. So, Norm, I noticed on our email exchange that you have a unique nickname. Can you tell me a little bit about that before we get started? Yeah, along the way, you know, you know, within flying units, you know, we never remember each other's names, but we always remember each other's call signs because they're usually associated with a stupid story. Um, mine came along for uh, as, as a commander, always making my, my, my units run. Um, but then it really came down to just, you know, events that happened and people are like, how did you get out of that one and how did it turn out so well? So, you know, associated with Forrest Gump. Yeah. All right. So. Norm Belchunas, also known as Gump. So welcome to the show. And where are you joining us from today? Because you're not in the studio with me. Yeah, I'm in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, just a great honor to be, be working here in our nation's capital and be able to turn around. And it's a great place to be able to turn around and obviously access to the Pentagon. And then just so many, you know, events and you know, conferences to be able to turn around and interact with the warfighters. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about your warfighting experience and, and uh, what you did in the Air Force and what drew you to Honeywell. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first off, if I could, I wanted to just kind of make a special, you know, um, hello um, to my Uncle Henry. Um, today's the 75th anniversary of uh, D-Day, and today he's 95 years old, and he was part of the initial invasion in Normandy on 6 June 1944. He actually got wounded that day kept fighting and was awarded a silver star for gallantry in combat. And he was one of five brothers, including my grandfather, that fought in both World War II theaters. And so that has always been part of my, my, my life. And so then I, I've had the privilege of uh, wearing a uniform for 27 years and, you know, continuing to provide, you know, post-retirement, you know, tools that, you know, warfighters need. Um, you know, in the Air Force, my primary job was flying B-52s. And then I had the honor of commanding my, my combat squadron in both Iraq and Afghanistan. My technical background is electronic warfare and cybersecurity. And then following retirement, I had the opportunity to lead a military requirements organization, matching military needs with industrial solutions. And then I was a chief operating officer for um, a research university. And I led their informatics and cybersecurity lab. And then I was a senior vice president for an engineering services firm. And in primarily focused on modernizing the United States Air Force's Air Operations Center, which is a lot like our Honeywell NOC, and then um, help stand up the Security and Exchange Commission's cybersecurity programs. Um, came over to Honeywell, uh, one of my squadron pilots was then working for Honeywell, and he made me aware that Honeywell was looking to expand their focus and defense capabilities for cybersecurity and electronic warfare. So he got me introduced into Honeywell, and I you know, just loved the opportunity to be able to turn around and build uh, capabilities for warfighters. But my very first day with Honeywell coincided with the Aero Reorg and got moved into services and connectivity. And for the last two years, we've been building out the connected defense portfolio. Well, great. Sounds like you've uh, found a place. I, I heard you say Honeywell not. Can you explain what that means? 
So that's our network operations center. So for our uh, go direct services, for being able to turn around and do, you know, uh, not just aircraft monitoring, but uh, route optimization, uh, fuel efficiency, um, and then also concierge level services for the air crews, and really just being able to turn around and provide for them, you know, improved situational awareness, command and control, and then really using, you know, our analytics to improve their in-flight efficiency. Okay. So let's just get started. You are an expert when it comes to defense and cybersecurity. So let's just start with how do you define mission readiness? You know, it's a really tough topic you know, today in terms of, you know, where we're at for, for, for the military. You know, historically, military readiness, you know, has been equated with, you know, our ability to fight more than one major conflict. That's how the Department of Defense would, would define it. But you start to drill down. And it's really this blend of, you know, what is a unit's core function? You know, what were they designed to do? You know, so as a bomber unit, you know, to be able to turn around, it was designed for uh, nuclear weapons. But then what are they asked to do? And, and that's a different thing. You know, we use B-52s in conventional operations. Um, so that mission readiness is really impacted by, you know, the operational environment that will be used and the nature of the threat. You know, we've seen over the last couple of years, there's a big difference between, you know, operating high altitude, you know, in, in you know, Afghan airspace versus what we see on the ground for, for urban conflict, you know. And so what we really have is the requirement to have, you know, very different skill sets and equipment requirements different than maybe how that weapon system was designed. And then we got this issue called the budget. <laughs> and that's really the, the major thing when it comes down to uh, readiness. Um, and, you know, our service leaders are, you know, and where Honeywell wants to be able to contribute is making sure, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say these things in terms of the U.S., but we also have quite a few, you know, uh, you know international partners that we're, we're providing capabilities for. And the question is, are they prepared, prepared to win the next fight? You know, right now, we're, we've been focused for the last, you know, two decades on fighting terrorism. And that, you know, really put us into this counterinsurgency type of conflict. And now the service leaders are really focused on, you know, and have grave concerns, you know, on our ability to fight a major, you know, power such as Russia or China. And so they're having to turn around and take a look, you know, what are the capabilities we need? You know, what are the status of those capabilities? You know, what needs to be improved? And then what's going to be the cost? Okay. So I'm just going to pivot just a little bit because, you know, we talk about aerospace quite a bit. So let's talk about the aircraft that are used in major military missions and what kinds of technologies they need moving forward. Okay. You know, uh, well, you know one, it's an incredible fleet of capabilities. Um, and, and a lot of parallels as we go through this conversation, you know, with what we see in, you know, a, a commercial fleet. So we see a range of business jets for being able to move senior leaders. Uh, we have our cargo aircraft for being able to move equipment. From a military, they have special requirements to sometimes move, you know, whole helicopters and then something the size of an Abrams tank. Um, then we have a complete range of commercial platforms, you know, you know, a lot of them, you know, based on a 737 platform that have been modified for roles ranging from air refueling to air ground surveillance, you know, to special platforms for being able to monitor, you know, an adversary's electronic emissions. You know, we got a whole range of helicopter platforms that are out there to be able to move troops, extend communications, 
and actually engage enemy forces. You know, the really unique capabilities then come down into our fighter and bomber platforms. You know, because they're specifically designed to be able to go into enemy airspace and to be able to defeat an enemy platform and capabilities. And then over the last two decades, well, we've really seen the increase in unmanned platforms. Yeah, they're accomplishing a lot of those missions. And then you go to the readiness question, and it's really that a lot of these platforms are now being used in a multi-role function, so beyond more than what they were just initially designed for. So, you know, the whole thing circles back to this readiness question, you know, how are you going to use them? And then being able to embed new technologies that will extend those multi-role capabilities. Right. It sounds like a lot of aircraft are being asked to do more than what they were originally intended to do. Absolutely. So what kind of modifications do they make to an aircraft like that so that they can carry more or communicate better or carry different cargo, et cetera? C-17 would be a great example. You know, it was built to, you know, come into place and replace, you know, an aging C-141 and, you know, as it's matured, um, it's, it's replaced other platforms for being able to turn around and make sure that we can get everything from supporting the president when he goes overseas and be able to get his communication, you know, equipment into, in, into place. Um, we're right now working to be able to put our jet wave systems on the C-17 so that, you know, the operators are able to extend their communications um, and have the same type of capabilities that, you know, we're using right now at work for being able to turn around and Skype um, and be able to have, you know, in-route updates and be able to get updates, you know, on, on what, you know, may be happening, you know, in, in an area, you know, where the adversary's at um, so that they can continue to plan the entire time back, back, and, back and forth. On, on the drones, you know, we, we, we've got incredible presence on, you know, the, the, quite a few platforms ranging from, you know, our engines to our flight management systems to radar altimeters. And that now also putting much smaller systems to be able to turn around and extend their ability to communicate. So, again, it's coming into this multi-role function, extend their capabilities, um, and then with that, extending their service lives, which is really a challenge. Okay. What do you think the challenges are that are facing our industry that are not yet being met? Now, we've had a decade of, you know, sequestration in the United States and reduced budgets. Right. And we've worn out a lot of our current systems because they've assumed these new roles um, and they've been forced to have extended operations, you know, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, you know, and still having sufficient forces to be able to hold Iran or South Korea at risk. And then being able to think about, again, what's that next fight going to be like? Service leaders are really thinking about, you know, no longer just low-intensity conflict in a place like Afghanistan, but really, you know, much more advanced threat from a, from a, a near peer. And we have this, in, you know, a, really an aging infrastructure. Just this past year, the United States Air Force has had to deal with complete destruction of Tyndall Air Force Base when it got hit by Hurricane Michael. Parts of off at Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska, is still underwater right now. You know, the Army's experienced similar catastrophes. And a lot of time, we're, 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 we put a lot of focus on we need to modernize the weapon systems. At the same time, we have these infrastructures uh, that, that need a lot of improvement. And then the other challenge that really ties in with readiness is training and retaining the right people, um, both 
commercial aviation and the military are looking at a major you know, deficit in trained pilots. So how do we begin to overcome that? You know, and that's obviously one of the, the, the attractions uh, for being able to introduce you know, autonomous aircraft. Um, the services really want to take advantage of big data, but they simply can't compete for data science scientists and software developers. You know, you know, you know, we're in negative employment in a lot of areas, and, and so being able to turn around and attract and keep those people in, in, in the service is is a big challenge. So we see the services really trying to implement you know new models for how they will develop software solutions. They want to take advantage of the digital revolution that's underway commercially. Right. And I think another thing I want to touch on is a little bit of cybersecurity. Because you mentioned that that's I think that's in your title. And I wondered, how are you addressing cybersecurity co- concerns as well here? For, for the military, it's, it's, it's absolutely essential to, to focus on, you know, secure communications, secure equipment, and then being able to uh, defend against an adversary and then to be able to find uh, vulnerabilities and take offensive operations. If we look at it from like an adversary's perspective and they're taking a look at, you know, what those vulnerabilities might be. They're trying to identify what might, might be a fleet-wide issue, um, you know, on, on a given platform and, you know, how that's going to impact that those aircraft are being used. They're going to try and intercept essential information and try and disrupt our operations. You know, so, you know, Honeywell, and it's we're really seeing a lot of acceleration in this with the stand-up of HCE cybersecurity. We are now bringing multiple products forward for being able to securely transfer and load mission data uh, to be able to onboard a weapon system, identify that an intrusion is taking place. Then the monitoring services to be able to turn around and, and, and med- you know, remediate those threats. And it goes all the way down to then you know being able to secure the supply chain especially with these vulnerable microelectronics. So it's def- definitely a, a, a requirement for the military, and Honeywell is well-placed you know, to be able to turn around and support that now. And just to clarify, you mentioned HCE. Are you talking about the Honeywell Connected Enterprise? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. We're an acronym-laden industry, so I just like to spell it out sometimes. I, I think Honeywell's actually worse than the military is. <laughs> well, that is saying something. <laughs> Let's kind of take it back. You had a career at U.S. Air Force. What kind of challenges may you have faced in your role there as an officer or a pilot? And have you kind of thought about the solutions for those challenges as you worked at Honeywell? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, uh, B-52s that I was flying, they're still, you know, in in service right now. They were built in 1960 and 1961. Yikes. um, And are going to have a service life for upwards of another, another 30 years, you know. And they have, again, a dual role mission. So they have to be available for nuclear operations and then also conventional missions. So meeting both those requirements, especially as a squadron commander, you know, was incredibly demanding because we just don't have enough training assets. How do you ensure the maintenance of the platform? And and then it it extends beyond the platform to also then the weapons. So it was really demanding to be able to maintain my unit's readiness in both those missions and then the constant rotation of deployments, because I had folks that were constantly going over in either part of one of our rotations or going over and supporting in other units. So just with the B-52, you know, right now we're looking at, you know, multiple programs in Honeywell to be able to turn around 
and how do we increase its operational efficiency and effectiveness? You know, one of the ones is, you know, they're looking to re-engine the B-52. And, and so right now, they want to be able to, how can you extend the current service life of those engines? So we're working with the Air Force to be able to turn around and put edge devices to be able to monitor it, you know, collect the data, and then be able to provide uh, some type of predictive analytics and what we call condition-based maintenance. Because historically, you know, a lot of the Air Force maintenance was done much like you're reading your automobile's owner's manual, you know, and you're told to get the engine oil changed at 3,000 miles. So we just did everything based upon what had been initial designers and then very poor data and being able to turn around and, and, and assess how we should use it more effectively. So right now we're moving into an era of being able to use, you know, the engine's data to be able to do predictive maintenance. We're also working on a B-52 to be able to turn around and upgrade the visual displays inside the cockpit. A lot of it going back to 1960-61, analog devices. So be able to bring them forward into a digital era and improve situational awareness and navigation, improve the connectivity. And then even, even things like our go-direct flight efficiency. Um, you know, and, and can we help the services? Because they're the largest, you know, they're one of the largest users of, of, of fuel in America to be able to turn around and improve the efficiency of how they use those aircraft uh, going hand in hand with those legacy engines. So all this kind of comes into how are we implementing, you know, Forge and digitally connecting, you know, the B-52 fleet, but then that extends across a lot of other platforms. There was so much there. And I have so many questions. Tell me a little bit more about condition-based maintenance, because when we have condition-based maintenance, are you, um, how is that connected or not connected? I mean, are we waiting till that aircraft lands to find out how it's doing? Or are we able to tell the ground how it's doing before it even lands? You know, it, 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 and that, 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 that's, that's a moving answer is, you know, Honeywell improves tech, technology and then people become comfortable with it and using it. B-52, I mean, literally the guys would be, you know, we'd be a cruise, you know, between events on board the aircraft and you'd be full, filling out a bubble sheet and collecting manual data off your analog devices. We weren't getting really anything meaningful off the engine itself. So now what we're seeing with legacy aircraft is can I collect that data, be able to turn around and get a digital representation of it, and then be able to, to at least begin to perform predictive maintenance and, and be able to turn around. And rather than just, you know, to, you know, case in point of what we're doing with commercial, you know, we're, we're down to about a 99% efficiency of when an APU should be pulled off that aircraft rather than just flying it to fail. And moving into that same type of perspective that let's not just change that engine or that component because, you know, we've, we've always done this at 2,000 hours or else we fly it to fail. We'll be able to turn around and have the data, be able to turn around and predict when it would fail and be able to turn around and replace it then. Okay. And then I wanted to touch on the flight efficiency. So the fuel savings, how are we demonstrating You know, a lot of people when they start to think about the military are thinking like, you know, hey, they're really not that that interested in fuel efficiency, especially if you've been around a fighter base and you see guys taking them off an afterburner, which is way cool. 
Um, <laughs> well, except they do have to run on a budget, right? Yeah, but but you know, a lot of these platforms, we go back to that blend of, of, of aircraft, you know, a lot of them are like based off of the 737. But we, we have a lot of data on what, what is, you know, the proper takeoff profile, what would be the proper landing profile in terms of configuring that aircraft, what are the appropriate airspeeds to be turned around and flying, and then at altitude, um, you know, we see, you know, our commercial uh, being able to turn around, you know, and efficiencies doesn't seem like a lot, but you're able to shorten a route by a mile or two. But the cumulative effect of that is, you know, thousands of gasoline that, that are turned around in, in an airline can save. Well, the services are becoming very tuned into that as well. And wanting to be able to turn around, again, it's the largest users of aviation fuel, um, be able to, you know, on, especially on like a 737 platform, but then even be able to extend that out to how we do, uh, you know, day-to-day -day training. A lot of our aircraft will go up and as part of their operational missions, they have to be refueled. Well, in, in a training scenario, pilots still needs to be flying in close proximity to another aircraft, actually make that contact, make sure that the systems are, are working to be able to pass fuel. But historically, it would just be like, okay, you're going to pass 100,000 pounds of fuel. They don't need 100,000 pounds of fuel. They may only need 20,000 pounds of fuel in order to be able to turn around and complete the rest of that training mission. So now that aircraft that's taking off as the tanker doesn't have to carry as much fuel. You know, the receiver doesn't have to carry as much fuel. They're both being able to turn around and minimize wear and tear on, the, on, on those platforms. So it's this whole connected solution to be able to turn around and how we can improve, you know, efficiency and effectiveness. Okay. So what do you think the future of connected defense looks like? Oh, I, I can go off on that one for, for longer than this phone call would, would, would be. Again, this is not just a, a, a U.S.-centric, you know, focus. You know, it, we're also talking with a lot of our international defense, defense customers because everybody's now in this, this digital position of being able to turn around and have, you know, improved connectivity, improved access to data, increased computing power, increased storage, and then the algorithms to be able to turn around and improve performance. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at this for, you know, ally and coalition partners, but it extends beyond just the aircraft. It also goes down into, you know, from a connected defense perspective, also the ecosystem that, that supports it. I mentioned, you know, you know, almost all the bases are aging, really require significant infrastructure improvements. Now working within Honeywell Connected Enterprise, you know, and really working across the different business groups, you know, especially right now uh, with uh, SBS, we're able to turn around and take advantage of a lot of their capabilities to be able to improve energy efficiency, uh, resiliency of the buildings, uh, and really improve performance and, and, and savings. So we're taking a lot of what's been learned for smart cities and factories, and now being able to orient that towards a smart base, and then also the warehouses and depots to be able to turn around and how they get you know, supplies out to uh, forces or to a fleet, and then also be able to turn around and do the repairs. And then we have a, a, another uh, whole area uh, where we're now expanding you know, new command and control solutions. And what we're doing is we're leveraging what Honeywell's been doing in terms of supporting commercial fleets and providing that situational awareness 
And now we're providing that also over to military customers to help them improve their situational awareness, flight optimizations, their mission effectiveness. And now that they have that data, we're also able to turn around and improve their supply chain processes as well. Well, that paints a picture for the future, for sure. So, Norm, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, and I also want to thank you for your service. I end every podcast with a question. So how do you unplug at night? Quality time with my family. You know, my, my wife has a really demanding job. So we always make time to try and cook together. You know, and, it, it, and really the reality of that is it kind of forces both of us to stop working because we keep pressing and, and then kind of sync with one another. And then uh, weekends, we both do triathlons. So we enjoy working out together. And then Sundays after we go to church, we always hit the weapons range. And she's a much better marksman than I am. And she's not going to listen to this, so I can actually say that. <laughs> That's great. And what's your favorite meal to cook together? Uh, for her, it's steak. Uh, my family really likes my spaghetti. I make better spaghetti than anybody else. <laughs> All right. Good to know. All right. Well, thank you. Once again, my name's Carrie Sinclair, and thank you for listening to Aerospace Unplugged. Be sure to visit our website where you can read more from Norm's blog. Data analytics is the new ammo for successful military operations. Thanks for joining us, Norm. Safe travels. We'll see you next time. This episode was produced by Katie Carney and edited by Chloe Dake.